Yeah, I'm so excited and honored to be here and to be your first guest. I'm like, that is pressure, <laughs> yeah. but honor at the same time. Yeah, I'm so excited. I have to give you like the proper introduction because, um, like I said, this episode is entitled Faith Walker, and you are the face, the, the face of like stepping out on faith. Entirely. Um, and walking boldly in your purpose. Um, I'll ha- you'll have an opportunity to share kind of what, where you came from, how you started, everything. Um, but she's a strategist. She's an innovator. She's an inspirational leader. She's a writer, an author, a speaker, an encourager, a wife, a mother, an aunt. <laughs> A friend, a mentor. She's super active in the community and she still holds it down. Like, I mean, she just got finished cooking dinner, y'all. She keeps the house in order. And so, y'all, like, she's super woman to me. So I admire her. Um, So round of applause. I appreciate you, sis. Thank you for having me. It is beautiful to be stepping into your faith journey and you walking in purpose. I'm excited. This is just the beginning. So. I'm so excited. So, Shannon, um, it's funny how, you know, we are both transplants um, Mm -hmm. based in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but we're not from here. We Mm -hmm. are from Detroit City. All day, every day. And, you know, we got here and and we started talking. She said, I know your brother and I know your mom and, and, you know, her family knows my family. And that is just the power of community. And I'm just so grateful. I was just on the phone with my mom and I was saying, like, mom, like Shannon's doing the first episode. She's like, yeah, I know her mom. I know her sister. And so I I feel like I know you and I look at look up to you like you're my big sister. Um, And yet there's so much to you that I still have to know. I still admire to know. I just want to know. So tell me a little bit about um, just where you started. When did you say enough is enough? And you were like, I'm walking. Okay, I'm walking in my purpose. You know what? I I think that all of us get glimpses of purpose. That purpose just doesn't show up in full technicolor, right? We get glimpses. We get pieces of purpose all along our lives. And so even as a little girl, I realized that encouragement was my superpower. I didn't know exactly all to that, but I knew encouragement was my superpower. And I also knew from an early age that I had an ability to see um, what people were navigating behind their smiles. I remember one of my earliest glimpses of purpose happened when I was about 12 years old. It was summertime and growing up on the east side in the D, my mom was a single mom. She worked. And so I had to take care of my younger sister. And I remember that in the 80s, the late 80s, um, my neighborhood was impacted by the heroin epidemic. So I remember one of my little sister's friends who had to be about four years old. Her parents would open the door at the crack of dawn, like 7, 730 in the morning, and they would send her outside she would roam up and down the streets and they would lock the door so that they could get high um, without her interrupting them. And I remember at 12 noticing her walking up and down the street and she would always come and knock on the door and ask if my sister could come out to play. And then she would ask if she could use the bathroom. And so I remember seeing this as a little girl, just knowing this was not okay. And so I decided I was going to do something about it. I got encyclopedia. See, I'm telling, dating all my age. Got encyclopedias. Pulled them out on my porch, made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and orange Kool-Aid. And I started having school for kids on my porch. And I had like 30 kids every day at the age of 12. And I would teach them things and take care of them. And I was doing this for free. And I look back that that was a glimpse of purpose on so many levels for community mobilization, for work I would do with youth, um, for being able to see needs in my community and being able to say, how am I part of the solution? 
See that honestly, that takes growth, maturity, and just and, and the ability to take a step back and and recognize that at age twelve was the start or a glimpse of of your purpose. I think um, life moves really fast, mm-hmm. and those are the moments that we should really start to think back on. And I I know we we dismiss our past often, and um, we don't really think that it holds any value to our future. And and I'm, thank you for sharing that because it really breeds um, deep into like taking a taking a step back and really you know analyzing what experiences that we've gone through that kind of feeds into our future and really you know drops a deposit and like this is this was a deposit into your purpose this was a deposit um, and really really holding that and staying true to that. So tell me a little bit about. Um, your like your career journey. Um, you worked at nonprofit for a while. Um, did you work at corporate at all? You know what? I didn't start doing a lot of corporate work until I um, started my own consultancy. So I went to school for public, um, well, political science and international relations first. And so I thought I was going to be an elected official. I thought I was going into the um, public sector. And then I ended up in the nonprofit sector working with, um, communities of color working in urban renewal and I got frustrated because I felt like I'm putting band-aids on issues and I'm not dealing with root causes and then the people that are making the decisions and driving systems nobody up there looks like me or the people that I'm serving and I said how do I get there and so I realized that I needed to go back to school to get an advanced degree sometimes you go back to school for strategy right (laughs) so I was like I need to be strategic because it's just a piece of paper keeping me here from there and I think that was my motivation and I said I'm going to go back to school debt free and I'm going to sit at these tables and I'm going to bring the voices of my people of my community of my neighbors of somebody that grew up in poverty I'm going to bring those voices to these tables. And that's what I decided to do. That's good. Y'all hear that? Make sure you get a pen and you get a paper because she is going to drop some, some gems here. She said, go to go back to school for strategy. Don't go back to school because that's the next step. Don't go back to school because mm-hmm. your friend did it. Go back to school for strategy. That's when you get the most bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. Because when you just walk off with a paper... You're going to be sitting at a board table with a paper, looking at the paper like, they ain't teaching me this, but you got to go in with the questions and get them answered. Like, make them, make them work. These professors, you know, these people teaching you, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, make them work for their money. Um, so you said you um, started your own business. You had a consultancy. So um, tell me a little bit about that. Like, what made you... I mean, so, you, kind yeah. of, you kind of talked about it like you were frustrated, but I was frustrated with the systems and I wanted to drive systems level change. And when I was in graduate school, there was a shift happening in the nonprofit sector. And I think wise stewards, you have to be an um, you have to be a student of your craft. You have to be a student of your industry because to see what's trending. And at the time, consultants were trending because you didn't have to pay them fringe benefits. You could pay them higher salaries. And I saw myself not being tied to one agency. So talking about knowing yourself, I didn't want to be tied to a desk. I thrive being in community with people and I wanted diversity. I wanted, I didn't want to be bored at work. And so a consultancy became a way where I said I could touch multiple organizations through having multiple clients. I could do the things I love to do and I don't have to be stuck at a desk because I had done that and didn't like that. Yeah. (laughs) 
And um, so I left. I was getting married. So I was like, I'll have health care through him. And, <laughs> right. and literally the real conversations you have. And yeah. I left. Now, looking back, I probably would have tiptoed, dipped my foot in the water. But I left. And I think God met me in that leap. And I ended up getting my first bread and butter client, which was Network 180. Mm-hmm. And so I started out the gate with the consultancy with the primary yeah. you know, pub, large public sector organization. And it was great. It was a great segue for me to discover my own voice and work in systems level change. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about that because um, I, I, I feel like I, I took a leap. You know, some some would say um, um, if you haven't been following my blog, I, I, I took a step away from a position that some would say was you were in the best position ever. Mm-hmm. You got paid good money. And I just took a leap out of. Oh, really frustration and just really knowing my worth, knowing my value. And and um, I called Shannon a few times, y'all. I was like, Mm -hmm. "Um, did I do this right? Or should I be feeling like this? You know, you have some down days. So tell me when you took that leap, you were new. Were you newly married at that point? Are you how how fresh was that? Well, actually, let me back up with the leap because I think this is true because I don't want people calling on into the show like, Laura Melissa Speaks, I just left my job. I done left. No, wait, wait. We, we want safety in your leap. We want to have cushions. I remember one of the first things that I did when I realized that I wanted to start a consultancy, I paid off all of my debt. I said, I'm going to get debt free because I think when you owe somebody, you're going to be your, ability, you, your You know, your leap is connected to a chain, right? And so I realized that if I was going to take a leap, I needed to make sure that I had paid off debt. And then I also saved up three months of income because mm-hmm. life has a way of happening. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that I had some cushion, you know, that I needed to have some cushion. So that was one thing that I did. Something else that I decided to do is even before going back to grad school, I realized I said, I, I want to go back debt free. So this is all part of this plan. So I said to myself, I was actually in a job at that time that I hated, that was hurting me. The people were shady. And I said, I'm going to give myself 30 minutes a day. At that time, it was all those workouts, like, do 30 minutes a day, your abs gonna look like this. And I was like, lies. But I realized that I could give anything 30 minutes a day. You know, sometimes we feel like we're too busy because we're working the grind while we're trying to build our hustle, right? Mm-hmm. And so I said, I can give myself 30 minutes a day. Um, even if that's bring taking a book into the bathroom, you got 30 minutes to give to something every day. And so for a year, I started to research scholarships. I started to research jobs in my field that would do tuition reimbursement. And when the I remember the day that I walked off of that job that was painful, I had a job lined up that offered tuition reimbursement. Awesome, yeah. I had a scholarship that was paying for me to go back to school and I was I was um in the process of becoming debt free. And so I think you you have to set a plan in place um based on your level of risk, right? And 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 at the time I didn't have any dependents, I didn't have any children I was dating. So this looks different when you add those other layers of hats that you may wear. So tell me, how was your spiritual life um, like in, in all of that? When you are making tough decisions um, like that, um, tell me, how was your faith? Because um, oftentimes, like, it, it sounds good. People are like, pray about it. You know, God's going to work it out. Like, how, how real was that for you? One of my favorite scriptures when it comes to things like this is talks about the fact that you don't build a house without counting the cost. I believe that sometimes we get so super spiritual that we don't, talk about the practical too. Um, and so I think that I like to keep people in my life, in my tribe that are people of faith, 
but they're going to keep it 100 with me too. And they're going to help me think holistically about the decisions that I'm going to make. And holistically, because we are spirit, soul, body, right? So I need to look at the spiritual ramifications, the emotional, mental, financial, social, geographical, all of these, these ramifications. I need to look at all of that to inform my decisions, right? Yeah. That's that's really good. That's really good. So, um, y'all, I, I said that she was an author. Um, and let me tell you, this this book I have, I, I have to get your autograph before you leave because I didn't Yay. get this design. But it's entitled Tough Skin, Soft Heart. And it's the, the most perfect size book. I keep this in my purse. Like, you know how you have those Joyce Meyer <laughs> daily devotions you keep in yes. your purse? This is one that you keep in your purse, y'all. You can read this front to back in a day. You can choose to split it up and and read it. Um, So I've read it. I've picked out a few chapters that we're going to dissect in just just a few minutes. But I just want to make sure um, I'm going to go back a little bit before we get into the book. But I had to to bring that up because everything that she's talking about, um, all the gems she's dropping is in this book. Um, And there's going to be more books to come. I'm just putting that in the atmosphere because she is loaded, locked and loaded with them. Um, But she talked about doing some research, um, um, finding outlets and avenues that actually sow into your future. Let's talk a little bit about you being a fellow. Um, with the Kellogg Foundation um, and how like um, a piece of research birthed, um, I would say, a dream of people of color, women of color in West Michigan and what that looked like. Absolutely. While I was a Kellogg Fellow, um, which was an awesome experience to actually travel across the nation with about 120 leaders from across the nation to look at wicked problems that we are navigating in in the world around us um, through different lenses. Um, And it was powerful. And I think through that process, Around this time, there was a lot happening in Grand Rapids around racial equity. You know, there was the Forbes report that came out that said that Grand Rapids was the second worst city in the nation economically for African-Americans. And while that took some folks' breath away, all of us was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we didn't know, knew that. Right. We knew that. We didn't need no study <laughs> to tell us that, right? Um, but still, the pain was there. I think uh, at the same time, we had a mayoral race where racial equity was at the center. Um, regionally, we had two women that were running for mayor. So they were it would be the first time, and they both won, where the city of Holland, Michigan, and Grand Rapids, Michigan, had women that were um, that would become mayors. And in Grand Rapids, racial equity was the platform. And so in this this space, I had become friends with Pat Verdine, and she was also a fellow, and we were both first and onlys. I was working at, as an interim executive director for an environmental nonprofit, and I was the first only in every, check all the boxes, <laughs> right. I was that. She was an outgoing executive director of color and on the lakeshore, and we would find ourselves having these conversations where we would unpack the emotional and the issues and the microaggressions that we had to deal with every day that had nothing to do with our technical acumen or our aptitude or our expertise to do the job. It was just folks acting a fool because we were women of color. And we would follow those healing conversations with strategy. You know, so they became these head and heart conversations about how do we heal as we heal? And how do we strategize so we slay? Right, and that right, right. became that foundation. We said, if we're doing this, we know that there have to be other women of color that need this. And um, 
we started following the news. Any article about racial equity in the region, we would share it with one another. And there was one article that changed the game for us. It was an article that was posted in a journal, and they were talking about the quantitative issues around race and talent in West Michigan. And they took a picture of this room that they had gathered to deal with the problem. And everyone was white, and 99% of the room were men. Mm -hmm. And that's when we said, we need to insert ourselves because you will never get to the solution if you don't talk to the people that daily live at the intersection of race, gender, and leadership. And that birthed sisters, that birthed the study, which was invisible walls, ceilings, and floors, championing the voices and inclusion of women of color in West Michigan. And then that gave birth to Sisters Sisters Who Lead. So for those of you that are listening, Sisters Who Lead um, became a a, a conglomerate, like a group of women that came together. um, And actually, after um, um, the study... Um, they sent out a questionnaire and was like, what do you, where do you want to go from here? What do you see? And the women spoke, y'all. They said they want they want a conference, a retreat. We need something where we can come together and just breathe a little. And so um, Shannon and Pat brought together a group of women. And I just say it's nothing but God because, I mean— if you could, if you would see the women across the room, across the table, and you like, you're dope, you're dope. I don't know you. We need to know each other. They were so strategic in that. Um, and I say it was nothing but God. Blessed that I was even a part or at the table. But um, built a conference um, in what six months. Yeah, we had data and no dollars. <laughs> we had data, and you know because yes. you were being uh, modest. You were in the beginning on that ground floor of dreamers where we had data, passion, and not a cent. Not a dime. And so to me, I was like, listen, if that can happen, we can do anything. And, and you know, um, I was on, on my new job, and we sat around the table and said, okay, what are your goals? If, if money wasn't a factor, what are your goals? And just dream. And very seldom do we give ourselves the opportunity to just dream because we let all the other stuff get in the way. But this is proof that we can dream and make it happen without the money because no matter how big your dream is, if it's necessary, it'll happen. God will make a way, and he sure did, and we proved ourselves, and it's only going to get bigger from here. And I'm just so excited. I'm proud that you and Pat, you know, took it a step further. You didn't just leave it at research and let people take the data and move along. You said, no, we're going to do something more. And so I think that is worth sharing. You know, we ended up raising $60,000 in six months from data and energy. And I will say that you're right when, you know, when God puts his hand on something, And he blesses it. And I think that it's while we started this movement, it has been so many women that have poured their life and their heart, their soul and their story very vulnerably into this work that I can't take the credit. And Pat will say she can't either. It has really been a movement designed and led and driven by women of color for women of color in this community. And it is probably one of the most risky things I've ever done. Um, Would you do it again, Shannon? (laughs) I would. I've learned so much. You know, the thing about courage is you can't have courage without risk. That's facts. Or vulnerability, right? You know, everybody gets to see the highlight reel, but nobody, you know, saw when I was like, uh, you still, you doing an ex, because I really, it was an expose on what really goes on in organizations as women of color. And I went through every thought. I remember having a conversation with my husband saying, if I, as a consultant, because if I don't work, I don't eat. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, if I stop getting hired, are you okay? Mm. You know, if they start writing ugly articles about me, 
If y'all ever read those reviews on M Live, <laughs> they people do it take a living doing mm-hmm. writing comments for you know for days. Yes. If we start getting trolled at the grocery store, you all right? Like mm-hmm. the conversations and the self talk because we were so diligent about protecting the identity of all of these other women of color. Because when it's only one of you in the organization and they tell their truth, it's they're very gonna, they're going to know. Yes. Yeah. And we needed to protect women's livelihoods. And I remember one day in all of this process, I said, girl, you protecting everybody else's identity, what but your name you? is in full color. <laughs> they're going to say, oh, Shannon, causing too much trouble. But you're right. I didn't even think about that, Shannon. And so you have, I think that's, that's a major risk. It's risky, but I think that anything that is anything that's in your heart, any dream or any purpose that's in your heart and is greater than you is going to involve risk. And that's when you talk about being a faith walker where you have to trust God sometimes with your brand and with your identity and with, you know, as you take a leap to do something bigger than you. Girl, we wouldn't even be able to walk in the front door of this space if it wasn't for folks in civil rights movement or drink water fountains. I think about all of the the social and civil rights I have because somebody was willing to lay their life down for me. And didn't even meet me. So there are people that are going to live in your yes that will never meet you directly. That's good. That's so powerful. I'm living in your yes, Shannon. And I'm living in your yes. <laughs> yes. So um, this is a good segue because um, that very topic is in her book. But we're not going to talk about that section right now. There's a, I think there's only three or four sections I'm going to talk about. When I say sections, it's only a piece, y'all. So go get the book because I'm not, <laughs> not going to read you the whole book. Um, but um, this is a good good thing. She So you can actually do this. Um, read it. Read one part a day. She breaks it down for us. So you can really look at this as like a daily devotion of sorts. Um, and she's so gracious that she gave us a bonus day, right? Um, and so it was the bonus day that really, um, really spoke to my heart because um, a lot of us get frustrated that nobody sees us doing work in the background. Mm-hmm. A lot of us get um, discouraged that things are not happening as fast as we want them to. Um, but Shannon speaks to that, and um, she gives us um, some things that she's learned about doing it in the dark. Um, and it basically what that means is, you know, it seems like your wins happen overnight, but they don't. It takes time. And she does a great job painting the picture um, of, of, of what that looks like. So I'm just going to read you two, um, two principles. I'm not going to read all four. Um, but one is do it because you love it, not in response to who approves it. That's powerful. I just had a, um, a moment of tr- this is a transparent moment. Um, I had gotten a new job and I was so happy about it. I told everybody that I loved and that I knew who would care, but I told this certain individual about it and he didn't care. Nor did nor did I get a shout out, nor did I get any any type of accolade. And um I'm like, it, you know, it hurt me so much that I was like, did I just get this new job for him? He's not my boyfriend, y'all. I don't have no boyfriend, so don't be thinking I'm doing it for no man, okay? <laughs> he grow. OK, um, but yeah, y'all, like I had to really examine myself. Like, am, did I get this job because I really loved it or did I get it because I wanted to make someone else happy? And I walked away from a position that I felt 
made everybody else happy. Everybody liked to brag on Lauren. Lauren got this good job. Lauren's working here. Lauren can help all these people. But what did it look like for me? Mm -hmm. And so um, when you all get this book, um, definitely get a, get a journal attached to it because it's going to be some really real moments that will make you think about things a certain way and have some of those hard talks with yourself. Um, so Shannon, tell me about um, what inspired you to write Tough Skin, Soft Heart. It was a blog at first, right? It was. It was a blog for four years. You talk about doing it in the dark, you know, which is, you know, every dream has seed time and harvest, right? Often by the time people see something and by the time you hear that, girl, you're doing that. You've been working it, doing it, sweating it, crying it, birthing it, right? Scaling it for such a long time. And so Tough Skin, Soft Heart was really born out of pain. Um, I was slaying in my career. I had won 40 under 40 with the Grand Rapids Business Journal. I had the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy as a client. They would pick me up in the black SUV. Oh, um, and it. so I, you know, if you externally, I was winning, but internally I was on E. At the time, me, we were looking to try to start, start having our family. And I was speaking in DC at a conference and the day of the conference, I ended up having a miss driving to the hospital cause I was spotting and ended up having a miscarriage in DC. And there's sometimes I believe that sometimes in our valleys is when we get quiet enough for God to really speak to us. And it was just me. My husband was back here. I didn't know nobody. I had to call the conference people to tell them I could not go on stage because I'm at the hospital and how vulnerable that was. And I remember just being eye to eye with myself and the fact that I was measuring my worth in my work. And I was more than my work. And it looked like that's what you admit to be a leader. It's like you slay. No matter if you dying, you cry in your car, you get out, you do that board meeting, you get back and you pick up your tears. And I start to say, that's not okay. Like there's, that can't be sustainable. And I wanted to talk about the tough stuff that I was navigating behind my smile, even as I looked like I was this um, high achiever. I didn't want to be high functioning and unwell anymore. That's it. You know, I just posted this on my own Instagram. You know, it's interesting that we charge our devices all the time. We charge our recharge, our phones, our iPads, our tablets, our devices, our laptops. We will have stuff in our purse and laptop bags on 100% while we, the owner, are on negative 2% battery life. <laughs> That's so true. And that is such a broken way to be. And I've decided in my life that my phone is not going to be more recharged than me. Because we understand if our devices are not charged, they cannot operate optimally. Such is our lives and our souls that when our souls are not recharged, we don't operate optimally. So we walking around depressed and sad and with anxiety and moody and yeah. mean and <laughs> you know, irritable yes. and all of this other in pain and in aches and with emotional paper cuts we ain't talked about and right. dealt with. And especially as women, and especially as women of color, because we have been taught to be super women. And that comes with a, a price tag that causes us to leave here early or to be walking wounded. And I just wanted to write something that would inspire women, inspire difference makers, 
to heal themselves as they heal others. That's good. Mm-hmm. So no matter if you are a store clerk, you are you sit at a board boardroom table, this book is for you. So Shannon, I'm going to give you the opportunity to to give plug yourself. Tell tell the people where they can find you. Where can they get this book? Um, tell them just tell them what you've been up to so that they can keep tabs on you. Because after they listen to this, they're they're going to want to connect to you. Okay, they're going to want I you in it. their room. I so you can get the book at my website, which is www.shannon s h a n n o n cohen c o h e n dot com. It's at Schuler Books. It's on Amazon. Soon to be. Barnes and Noble. Yeah. So we are taking over slowly but steadily. And it's been great. I think um, the book is meant to be balm for your soul, salve for your soul. If you have been hurting, if you are the first call for help for everybody else and you struggle with who to call when you go through, this book is for you. If you are the rock for everybody else and you are crumbling at the same time, this book is for Y'all, every woman should be purchasing this book because, you know, women are rocks. Okay, Mm -hmm. we we the rock in the family, you know. Yes. Homes, marketplace, community. (laughs) Everywhere. They look to us. They look to us. I love it, Shannon. I'm so glad you had me. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope you all enjoyed listening. Um, This is Mike Check, the podcast with Lauren Melissa. Um, This is only the beginning, everybody. Um, Miss Shannon Cohen, everybody. I appreciate you. You are amazing.